Turn with me to the book of Malachi. Malachi chapter 4. And I'd like you sometime to read through the entire chapter. I'm not going to read through that today, but I want to read a little bit of verse 1 and then jump all the way down to verse 5. Beginning of verse 1, it says, Surely the day is coming, and it will burn like a furnace. Verse 5. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. I want to tell you this morning one of the great memories that I will take with me into eternity in the lifetime of my ministry here on earth. It happened just after I began in Camrose here back in 1994. When Jane and I and our two oldest children in the middle of winter moved from Edmonton to Camrose, and on January 1, we began our ministry here at Solid Rock. Some of you were a part of that. As we were meeting in the little music hall, there was about 20 people at the time. That was our beginning. That was about 26 years ago. It didn't take long after being here that I began to hear about a movement. Actually, it was a men's movement sweeping through the United States of America called Promise Keepers. Some of you this morning have been there. Some of you, all that you have ever done was hear about it. But it was a men's movement that was filling up football stadiums, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60,000 men filling a stadium and spending weekends together with a group of men in worship and in teaching. In the spring of 1995, I felt led to organize a bus filled with men from Camrose to travel down to Seattle, Washington, and to be part of the Friday evening and the all-day Saturday ministry. Within about a week, men from our church and men from about 12 churches in the area filled the bus of 55, and in July of that year, we headed down to Seattle to be part of the conference. 63,000 men filled the Seattle Kingdom. There were times, I want to tell you, in the midst of worship, that I just stopped and I just looked around at all these men singing, worshiping, the hands raised, not a woman in the building, 63,000 men in worship. I stood there and just began weeping because the presence of God was so powerful. I want to tell you, the format of that weekend was always the same. The first message on Friday evening was a call to salvation, and at the altar call, thousands of men streamed down from wherever they were in the football stadium to go to the platform and receive Christ or to rededicate their life to Christ. It was powerful. I watched men from our church who had dabbled in our church because their spouse was part of it and they occasioned and every now and then they didn't, who on that first meeting walked to the front and gave their lives to Christ. I saw that conference after conference. But after all of that happened and the men received Christ, the focus of the conference became what the title was called 
a call for us as men to be what God called us to be. Keeping promises that we made to our wives how many years ago? Keeping the promises that we made to our children when they were birthed. And for keeping the promises that we made to God. That was the conference. I have to tell you honestly, and for some of you who are a part of that, you will agree with me, those two-day events were literally, literally life-changing. They will go down in history to be like the Welsh Revival. They will go down in history to be like a Zuzu Street. They will go down and recorded as powerful moves of God in tens of thousands of men across Canada and America. And for those of us who are blessed to be a part of it, we know the impact on our lives. One of the comments I made after the first conference when I came back, and as I do, I invited the men to come and to share their experience on that weekend, but one of the comments that I made, I said, after that conference, I will do everything in my power to get every man under my influence to that conference because I believe in that weekend more will happen than in years of ministry in a normal church body. That's the evidence of the presence of God. And I watched it over and over. Literally, it was a move of God. Literally, it was a season of awakening. Literally, it was the Holy Spirit grabbing men's lives and turning them around. And I believe thousands and maybe millions of marriages and homes were changed. I want to tell you, when men's hearts were captured by the Holy Spirit and turned to God, in that moment, their hearts were turned back to their families. During that five or six year period of time, I had the privilege of taking men to a number of conferences in a number of different cities. But there was one that stands out to me like no other. I believe it was in June of 1998. I flew down to Fresno, California. Our best friends, they live in Fresno. We met them on our honeymoon in 1985. Our best friend was not walking with the Lord. And yet I realized that God had brought us into their world for a reason, and so I had talked to him about this movement, and I said, Mark, if I fly down, will you go with me? And it was interesting because one of the men that he taught with was a man who'd gone to Promise Keepers, and he had been chipping away at Mark from that side, and I was chipping away from this side. And in a conversation, he eventually said to me, Call, if you fly down here, I will go. I flew down to Fresno. I was sitting in the stadium of about 38,000 men. My friend beside me, his teacher friend beside him, one of the speakers said when he began praying about coming to Fresno to speak at the Promise Keepers Conference, one of the speakers said God laid on his heart just the term, the Fresno 10,000. And he said, God, what is that about? 
And as God began laying on his heart, God showed him what was going to happen. He said a number of months before the Promise Keepers Conference, he said he was speaking at another conference, about 300 men were there, and in the midst of that conference, the Holy Spirit laid on his heart to call to men, those who were having extramarital affairs, to call them, to admit it, to come to the front, to repent of what they were doing, and go to the phone on the side of the wall and phone their lover and say, today it's over. He talked about his message. He said at the end of his message, he invited all the men to pray. And then in silence, he stood there with his eyes closed waiting. He said the room could not have been more silent. He said, I wonder if I missed it. And he says as he stood there with his eyes closed, all of the sudden, from the back of the room, he heard a set of work boots hitting the floor, step by step, coming to the front. He said he didn't open his eyes. He said he kept standing there and praying. He said he heard the footprints come right in front of him. He said he was expecting a punch. He said when he opened his eyes, he said there was a man about a foot taller than him who looked like a construction, world from, a construction worker from Gath one of Goliath's brothers. He said he stood there, and this man was looking at him with eyes piercing toward him. He said, I thought I was going to see Jesus in a minute. And then the man opened his mouth. He said, do you have a quarter? The speaker reached in his pocket, took out a quarter, gave it to the man. They watched the man walk to the side of the building in the days where there were payphones. He dropped his quarter into the payphone and he began to dial. He said, as the entire room in silence watched that man make the phone call, he said, man after man after man rose from when they were sitting and walked to the front and dropped to their knees and confessed their sin of adultery. He said dozens of men. That night, their hearts were changed. That night, they broke off infidelity. That night, they recommitted their lives to their wives and to their children. And as that speaker finished telling the story to 38,000 men, he held up a quarter. He said, if you tonight, the Spirit of God is calling you to stop your extramarital affair and for you to recommit to your wife and recommit to your children, I invite you to come to the front and to get my quarter and go make a phone call. I want to tell you what I saw that I don't think I may ever see again in my lifetime. Out of 38,000 men, men began standing all over the stadium. 
began walking down the steps, began going to the platform. The platform area was full. The hallways going back in the stadium were full. The stairwells going up into the seats and bleachers were full. The speaker waited for them all to stand and all to move. Then he looked and said, you are the prophesied Fresno 10,000 that tonight the Lord is turning your hearts away from adultery, unfaithfulness, and infidelity and turning your hearts back to your wives and back to your children. I want to tell you, I sat there and I looked around and literally every fourth or fifth seat was empty. The Spirit of God moved in that place. And lives were changed. What happened in that place is exactly what Malachi prophesied before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. Something is going to happen on this planet that is going to get hold of the hearts of men through prophets Elijah, not the literal, but men who function with the anointing of Elijah, men who walk with his power, men who preach with his authority. And as they do, it will capture the hearts of men through their teaching and preaching and turn their hearts back to their children. And he's going to do it for a reason. Let me tell you what that is. Malachi said this, he is going to turn the hearts of fathers to their children or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. I don't need to tell you what you already know. We are living in a day where the hearts of so many fathers are somewhere else other than with their wives and somewhere else other than with their children. We are living in a day where over 50% of children are now being raised in single-family homes. Fathom that. We are in a today where there are more children who are being born out of wedlock than born in wedlock. Think of that. We are living in a day where almost 2 million unborn children every year in Canada and the United States are being terminated in the womb. Why? Because a man got them pregnant, but he did not hang around to be a father. And when asked, what are we going to do? As so many teenage moms who are pregnant go to their boyfriends and say, I'm pregnant, what are we going to do? The word coming out of those young Children in the bodies of men said, abort it. I will not be responsible for what I birthed. I want to tell you something even sadder. Even in homes where mom and dads are still together, even in homes where the marriage is still intact, how many men are more like another child instead of a man in that home 
that the wife has to look after just like she looks after her other children because he's not a man, because he's not the father, because he's not the covering, because he's not the head. And as a result of all of this, we live in a society that the land is under a curse. And we know it. We're not going to do it this morning. I'll tell you, if it was next Sunday we would do it, I would pull my whiteboard out. But I want to challenge you sometime. I challenge you, I would like you to think about the spiritual curse that has landed upon our society today because fathers' hearts are somewhere else than towards their children. The list is huge. But the question is this. How do you turn the heart of a father whose heart is on piles of other things than their children, how do you turn that heart back to their children? How do you do it? You don't need to turn there right now, but I would like you to write down 1 Kings. Would you write it down? 1 Kings chapter 11. Sometime I, I challenge you to read it. It's a story of one man. Can I tell you, he's supposed to be the smartest man that ever walked on the earth, but I think that reputation is changing. It's the story of Solomon, and God told Solomon, Solomon, you and all the Israelite men are not to marry pagan wives because if you do, they will turn your heart away from God and you will move into sin. You would think that a bright guy would get it. In verse 2 is the warning. And in verse 4, let me read to you what it says. As Solomon grew older, his wives turned his heart after other gods. And as a result, he built pagan temples. As a result, he burned incense to pagan gods. As a result, he worshiped and sacrificed at the altar of pagan gods. And as a result, his heart was turned. His children were all affected. And the kingdom was ripped away from him because his heart turned away from God. But the question is, how does the heart of a father which is not on his wife and not on his children get turned to come back to where it should be? I want to tell you as I was preparing for today, the Holy Spirit had me stop and think for a while about Jesus' dad. I haven't done that for a long time. I just put everything down and I closed my eyes and the father and I just began talking about Joseph and kind of ticked me off because Joseph was probably there with God and, and I didn't have him here. So it was kind of like an unfair time together. But I began thinking and the Holy Spirit began flooding my mind. Of all the men that God could have chosen to be Jesus' dad, 
all down through time, in 4,000 years, he picked the man Joseph. We know the verse in the Bible that says God, his eyes look to and fro over the whole earth, looking for those whose hearts are turned toward him. He did it back then. He's still doing it today. But can I tell you, in 4,000 years, as he was looking for a man, his eyes landed on a man whose heart was turned toward him and said, that is the man I want to be your dad, Jesus. You've only got one shot at this. Joseph's heart was turned right. I want to tell you we don't know a lot about him in Scripture, but we know enough to know why God chose him. Let me just shoot this to you really quick. The first thing is this. When he found out Mary was pregnant, not by him, what was his response? Instead of publicly shaming her, he goes, I will put her away quietly. He said, I will not shame her. He said, I will not expose her. He said, I will not humiliate her in public. He goes, I will not condemn her. He could have put her to death. We know that. He did not do it. His heart was turned right where he goes, she did wrong, but I'm going to do this quietly. Can I ask you today, how many men, how many husbands have shamed their wives how many fathers have shamed their children publicly? This man didn't. Let me give you another one. He believed the impossible when Mary told him the truth. When Mary told him, first of all, he struggled, he didn't believe. When he woke up at night after having had a dream from an angel, he woke up and said, I believe. I believe her. His heart was turned to believe the impossible. Can I tell you, there are a pile of people out there whose heart is not even open to believe what's possible. God looked and said, there's a man who will believe his wife. Let me give you another one. After Jesus was born, before he was born, the Bible says that Joseph made a decision not to have union with his wife, to honor her, to honor God. He did not push his own desire, but his heart was turned right and said, let's wait till he's born. How many men have the ability to put their desire to death for the sake of their spouse, for the sake of their children? I could tell you story after story, and so could you, of men who overrode their wives' will, men who overrode her hearts, men who overrode her words of, no, not now, I'm not there, and overrode it because his desire was greater. Not Joseph. His heart was turned right. Let me give you one more. He was a man led by the Spirit of God and not by anything else. Can I tell you? He was not led by his wife's opinion like Abraham was, like Adam was. He was not a man who was led by fear like so many men down through time. He was not a man who was led by public opinion. I wonder what people are going to think about me. He was a man who was not even led by his own desire, his own will, what he wanted to do, 
Where did Jesus ever learn, not my will, but yours be done, Father? Do you think maybe that as Jesus was growing up, he heard the story of his conception and his birth from his mom and dad over and over and over and heard about a father who laid down his will for the sake of another? Where do we find a man like that today? God chose Joseph for a reason. I want to tell you, I, in that moment, I said, Father, just tell Joseph, who's with you right now, just tell him when I get there, I'm coming to visit him. I want to talk to him. I want to meet him. I want to spend time with a man that God chose to be the only father of Jesus on earth. I want to meet him. And I will. But today in a day and a land that is living with the curses of fathers' hearts being so far from their children, both those who are not living with their children and those who are living in the same home, but their heart is still not with their children, the question is, how do you turn a father's heart back to his children? How does the heart of a man that is full of things of the world get flipped over and come back to where it should be. I want to give you four things this morning that God laid in my heart. I encourage you to write them down. I just want to say, if you are a father, I challenge you to let the Holy Spirit use these steps to turn your heart back to where it was always meant to be. I want to tell you this morning, if you are the wife of the father of your children whose heart is not toward your children, and every wife knows when her, fa- when her husband's heart is with them or when his heart is not with them, every wife knows. If that is you this morning and your husband's heart is far from your children, I encourage you to take these four and make them your prayer list. Holy Spirit, begin working in his life. And I want to say this. If you are a child, I don't care what age you are, your father is still alive, you are a child, and your father's heart is not towards you. Your father's heart is toward money. Your father's heart is toward women. Your father's heart is toward your sibling. Your father's heart is anywhere but toward you. You know the pain of that. You know the theft in that. I challenge you to take these four and begin to cry out to God for them to happen in your father's life that before his passing or the rapture of the church, your father's heart would be turned back to you. Would you write down number one? Would you write down change fathers? Change fathers? Can I ask you a question? Where 
where do most all men who are fathers learn to be fathers? Where do they learn it? They learn it from their father. And if their own father's hearts were not healthy enough to be turned toward them as children, if their own fathers were not what God called them to be, for whatever reason, as a result of that, as a man, we are not what God called us to be as a father. If that is the case, and I want to tell you bluntly, that is the case in most every man's life. Instead of your earthly dad being dad, being your model, being your greatest influence, being the source of truth for your fathering, change fathers by saying, God, I need you to become my father. I need you to become my model. I need you to become my positive fathering example. I need you to be my dad. And I need to be your son so that I can experience what it is like to have a healthy father so that in turn I can go to my children and pour into them my health instead of my brokenness, my dysfunction, my orphanism. I want to tell you it was powerful at every Promise Keepers event as men gave their lives to the Lord or recommitted their lives to the Lord and made God their father in a real way. It was amazing how their hearts turned toward their children. Can I tell you this? Our Heavenly Father's heart is turned toward his children. And to have God as our Father, he plants his heart inside and says, if you will let me, I will pluck everything out of your heart and turn you back to your children. I just want to say, it is amazing when you talk to an adult child, 50, 60 years of age, who's seen your father in their 70s and 80s, has had an awakening in their life in relationship with God, all of a sudden they begin to phone where they've never phoned before. All of a the sudden they're interested in visiting where they've never visited before. All of a the sudden they want relationship where they couldn't have given two hoots about a relationship before. It doesn't matter what age you are. When the father gets hold of you and plants inside of you his heart, I cannot tell you the impact on 50, 60, 70-year-old children whose father's hearts are turned back to them. It is never too late. Some of you are still waiting for that. If you are a father and your earthly father was less than perfect, I challenge you, change fathers. Would you write down number two? Would you write down, heal your heart wounds? Heal your heart wounds? The term that has been out there in this generation may be more than any other one, and I believe it's because it is a day of turning and preparing the heart's 
for these latter days, the term is this, father wound. We've all heard it. The father wound. And let's be honest, hurting people hurt people. Hurting people hurt people. Even if a hurting father has children, that hurting father is going to hurt his children. You can't do anything else. The curses of the father get passed on to the children, and unless they are broken, they will go from generation to generation to generation to generation until somebody changes it. And I want to ask you how many of us have had our lives affected by wounds that came from our fathers. Those of us who experienced the ancient paths ministry, we learned the power of the blessing and the power of the curse. We learned that without even knowing and without even being intentional that oftentimes the enemy uses the father and uses the mother in the home to be the agents of the enemy to wound their children deeply. I want to tell you that is a ministry that if a person lets it cause the wounds in a person's life to come to the surface and allow them to be healed. I'll tell you honestly, I'm one of them just like you. Men, it is not easy for us men to have our hurt exposed. It's not easy to talk about our brokenness, to talk about the damage, to talk about the words, to talk about that which deflated us, to talk about that which took our self-esteem away, to talk about that which left us feeling like a child even though we're in a man's body. It is not easy for us as men to bring that out into the open and to let other people see it. The message we get all the time and the message we often get from hurting dads is stop crying. Don't you show that weakness. Buck it up. And so what did we learn? Not to heal the wound, we learn to shove it down farther and farther and farther and somehow think that time will cause it to go away. Can I tell you, time does not heal wounds. I want to say this, men. If there are wounds in your life, I don't care if you are 20 or if you are 95, and those wounds are affecting you and affecting your marriage and affecting your children and affecting everything around you, I challenge you. Do what you have to do to get them healed. A wounded father cannot have his heart turned toward his children because his own wounds will make him consumed with himself. Men, we have to be healed. Would you write down number three? Would you write down love your children's mother? 
Love your children's mother. The statement has been made, the greatest gift that a father can ever give to his child is to love their child's mother. That is the greatest gift. Can I ask you why that is? I'll tell you. Because when a child experiences a father deeply loving his spouse, the child is absolutely secure that they are loved by their father and mother. When they see it between the two, it gives them a security that they are loved. But when a child experiences a father not loving their spouse, when a child experiences a father breaking relationship with their mother, when a child experiences a father, even though they might be in the same home, being more concerned about himself than he is about his wife, their security of feeling loved It's gone. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because in your home, you experienced the brokenness between mom and dad and it left you with a love void. The enemy knows what he's doing when it comes to bringing strife and brokenness into a marriage, whether it's in the same home or apart. Tell me if this land has a curse as a result of this. Tell me. The Promise Keeper movement called men back to loving their wives. Why? Because in doing so, it turned their heart back to their children. The family has been under attack for some time. We know that. But the prophecy is, before the day of the Lord, the Father's heart will be turned back from where it was to where it should be. It will be turned back. As an, and as a result of that, you will watch the child's heart being turned toward their dads. Fathers, love your wife. Love your children's mother. Men, love your spouse. Children or no children. The heart cannot be right until it is turned in that direction. Isn't that a popular message in 2020? Would you write down number four, last one? Men, Become a father and not a friend. Become a father and not a friend. The question is always asked, how do I become a healthy and good father when I don't have or I haven't had a healthy father? I want to say this very carefully. You can almost always tell a man You can almost always tell when a man has not been raised by a father, when they have their own children, that man will work hard at being his children's friend instead of knowing how to be their father. Men 
who try and be their children's friend have lost their ability to be a father. And I'll tell you really what it is. If you were to look inside of those men, you would find a child emotionally trying to be the friend of their own child. But the result is disastrous. There is not a single child out there whose father tried to be their friend who goes, oh, I so loved having my dad as a friend. I didn't want a father. I wanted another friend. You will not find that. Every child will go, I didn't want him as a friend. I needed him as a father. When you've had no healthy father model, how do you become a healthy father? Would you jot this down really quickly? First of all, you see what your own father did wrong. Discover what your own father did wrong. Make a study of what your father did wrong. Let me tell you why. Ken Cranfield, in his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective Fathers, he says this. He says, if you are a man who can see what your father did wrong, the likelihood of you not becoming that is great. But whatever you look at them and go, they did a good job, you will become that unconsciously. If you can see it as wrong, you will become something different. The question is, is that dishonoring? Can I tell you, that is the most honoring thing as a child you can do. The cry of my heart is that my children would be better fathers than I am. That my children would look at my parenting and be able to see those things where I missed it and go, I don't want to do that. How do I do it better? I love that as a parent. That is not dishonoring. Don't let the enemy lie to you that when you look at your parent and see what they did wrong, that somehow that is dishonoring. No. That is empowering you to change and to become different. The second thing is this. Learn from other models. Learn from other mentors. I got to tell you, this was easier years ago when people lived in community and everybody knew everybody. When you travel to third world countries, they still live in communities and everybody knows everybody. And I'll tell you, everybody knows who the good dad is and everybody knows who the slackened dad is. That good dad stands out like a lighthouse. Part of the issue in our society is this. You can have someone killing someone else in the door beside you and you don't even know it. How many people have been shocked to find out that pedophiles have been living next door, that child pornography makers have been living next door? We don't even know the people who live beside us. I want to ask you a question. If I were to ask you, who is the healthiest father that you know in your life? Just let the Holy Spirit scan. Who is the healthiest father you have ever known in your life? Who comes to mind? And can I challenge you men? 
If there is a name that comes to your mind, can I challenge you? Get to know that man. Spend time with that man. Learn from them. Ask them questions. Watch what they do. Listen to what they say. See how they relate to their wife. Watch what they do with their children. Do what every other professional does. They find someone who's better than them and say, I need to learn from you. Third one is this. Oh, I, I don't mean to swear at you men, but I will. Men, read. Read. R-E-A-D. Part of why I believe that we are in the latter days is because we have had such an explosion of knowledge in every area, including parenting, including marriage, including being a father. There has been an explosion of knowledge. 50 years ago, you wouldn't have found a book on the shelf about fathering. Today, countless books. But can I say this? When I still ask the majority of fathers, what is the last book you have read on fathering? Do you know the response I normally get? I haven't read one. I say, you've never read a book on fathering? No, I have never read a book on fathering. I say, you are wanting to be a good father? They go, yes, I am. And I go, so you're not learning about what you want to be good at? Someone once said, you can tell a man's heart by where he spends his money and by what he reads. Let me say it again. You can tell a man's heart by where he spends his money and by what he reads. Can I tell you, when the Spirit of God is moving on a man, turning his heart toward his children, let me tell you, that man will begin to read. I say this, unfortunately, I say it. Can I tell you the men who, as a whole, walk into my office or I meet, can I tell you the men who have a heart to begin reading and a heart to begin changing? I'll tell you. It is the man whose marriage has fallen apart, is the man whose children are wayward. It's a man who has a wake-up call that if I don't change, this is going to be on my epitaph. I need to change. They come and go, call. What can I do to become a better father? I lost them. I need to get them back. And they make a great statement. They go, I, I know it wasn't their fault. It was mine. They don't have to change. This heart does. Why, it is, why is it that most men only change their diets after a life-threatening heart attack? Why? Why is it that most men begin cleaning up their lives when their wife walks out the door and says, I'm not coming back until it's different? Why? Why is it until a man is alone and his kids want nothing to do with them that he goes, I need to change, otherwise I'm going to die without my children around me? Why? Many of us have watched the movie Courageous. 
If you have not watched it, that is your homework this week. If you have watched it, it is your homework this week. That movie, I believe, was inspired by the spirit of Elijah calling men to turn their hearts back to their children. I believe we are living in a day when the prophets filled with the spirit of Elijah are calling fathers to rise up. They are calling fathers to heal. They are calling fathers to turn their hearts back from where they have been, back to their children, back to their wives, back to their fathers, to their heavenly father. Why? To break the curse on the land. To break the curse in families. To break the curse on the next generation. Gentlemen, the day of fluff is over. The day of fluff is over. I believe with all my heart that the Spirit of God is preparing a generation, and this may be the last generation before the day of the Lord. I believe he is preparing a generation where the Father's hearts are in the right place, and as a result of that, the children's hearts are connected to the Father, and when the enemy unleashes everything in his arsenal before the rapture of the church, there is a generation that is strong enough and healthy enough to stand till the end. We are in that day. Would you bow with me? Spirit of God, I want to say thank you that all across this nation, I want to say thank you that in churches all across this country, that Holy Spirit, you have found prophets with the anointing of Elijah. You have found authors with the anointing of Elijah. You have found pastors with the anointing of Elijah who as they speak and as they write and as they preach the Spirit of God, you move on the hearts of men and you turn them. You turn them. Today I speak to every person who on Father's Day struggles because they live with wounds that came from the one who is meant to cover them, love them, protect them. The Father's wounds are real. And today is a hard day. Because of that, I release a grace over you today that as you tuck into the Heavenly Father, you will experience His healing. You will experience from Him what your earthly dad could never give to you. Today would be a day of grace. I release that grace over you today. For those of you who have dads who are alive and their hearts are still not with you today, I release a grace over you to begin believing for what seems impossible. A grace to believe that his heart can be changed from what has captured his heart, from what has turned him away like Solomon's heart, to begin believing that his heart can awaken, his heart can come back, his heart can be turned toward you 
And as a result of that, your heart can be opened up again to your dad. No longer to expect wound, no longer to expect rejection, but to experience the love of a father. I release that grace of faith over you today. And every father under the sound of my voice, there's not one of us who had a perfect dad. Many of us are so thankful for the fathers we had. Today we think about the positive qualities, what they poured into our life. Today we're thankful for the positive legacy that they left. But we recognize the wound. We recognize the falling short. We recognize that many of our dads were not the model of what God calls us to be with our own children. We don't judge them. We don't condemn them. We honor them today by seeking to be healthier dads, by seeking to be more godly dads, by seeking to be for our children what they could not have been with us. Fathers today, only you and God know what has captured your heart. You know if your children have 5% and everything else has 95. You know. You know if business has captured you more than your children. You know if that woman on the side has captured your heart more than your children. You know what it is. Today, I'm not calling you physically, but I am calling you spiritually to get up from where you are sitting, to walk to the front and to grab the quarter. Whether it's repenting of adultery or repenting of sports or repenting of seeking money or repenting of whatever has turned your heart away. Today, to allow the Spirit of God to turn your heart back. Today, the Father's eyes are still looking over the whole earth to find those men whose hearts are turned toward him, that he might show himself strong He might anoint us with the anointing on Joseph. Having a heart to raise up the Son of God, to raise up the Messiah. Would you take a moment this morning? Our hearts cannot be hidden from the Lord, but he will not force one of us he will not force one of us to give way to him, to change our heart, to turn us. He will not force us. But he will respond to invitation. Men, 
Wives, right now, would you be praying for your husband? Women, right now, would you begin praying if your earthly father is alive, would you begin interceding for him? The prophetic word is before the day of the Lord comes. The hearts of fathers will be turned. Today, it's that day. Let it be you. Men, let it be you. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would seal what you have done today. I ask that you would move on every heart and every mind for those who need to change fathers and make you their father, Holy Spirit. Give them the boldness and the courage to separate themselves from their earthly father and to cling to you as their only father. For those who need to be healed, Holy Spirit, empower them to bring to the light what has been buried in darkness. For those who need models, would you bring into every one of our men's lives fathers who are godly, fathers whose hearts are right, fathers who love their children's mom? Would you allow us to find them? Would you allow us to get to know them? Would you allow us to emulate them? And Father, would you awaken inside of every man a hunger for the knowledge of how to be what you called us to be? Would you release an anointing of reading upon men's lives? That no longer would it be said, I have never read a book on fathering. I have never read a book on marriage. Would it be said that men in this generation devoured how to be a dad, devoured how to be a godly husband? Change me, transformed by the renewing of my mind. Smash the lie that we as men do not read. Smash that Holy Spirit. Set us on fire. Move us from little children in a man's body to becoming the men, the fathers, the husbands. We have been called and anointed to be. I declare today there will no longer be an adult child in the home of every wife in this place. The child will grow and mature into manhood. The days of men being children are over. The generation, the generation is now. Of fathers whose hearts are toward their children the healing of a generation as children's wounded hearts are turned back to their fathers. No longer broken, no longer wounded, no longer selfish, but healthy, whole, godly, able to do 
what we've been called to do. Holy Spirit, have your way in us men's lives. I declare to you today, on this Father's Day, in the year 2020, in the generation we live in, your Heavenly Father bless you and keep you. As a loving father, may he cause his face to shine on you and to be gracious to you. May your loving father lift up his countenance upon you and fill you with his peace. I declare that in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And everybody receiving it said, God bless you today. Thank you for joining us. Today will be our last live stream service as the churches are open and as we have our doors for the entire church to come back. From this point on, I invite you to check out on YouTube. The messages will be recorded and posted for those of you who would like to go and to watch and listen. But our live streaming, as of today, is done. Praise God for the restrictions that are lifting. Praise God for his grace to walk through these days. Praise God for unveiled eyes to see the truth in the midst of a global deception. And praise God for those who walk in faith and not fear. Psalm 91 has become real. And I believe we are prepared for what's coming until we lift off and see Jesus face to face. Thank you for joining us. Bless you for being here today. Have an awesome week. Bye-bye.